my voice is definitely off. You guys can hear that. And it might go totally out. And uh, with that, I wanted to say 2 Corinthians 12. Paul struggled with this thorn in the flesh. And he said, God, take it away, take it away, take it away, take it away. And finally God said, my grace is sufficient. And my power is made perfect in your weakness. So no matter what happens this morning, I know that God will be glorified. And I know that we'll all get what God has for us and it should be a good time. And with that, I want to say... My goal here is not doom and gloom. I don't want to just uh, send you out thinking the world's going to collapse on us tomorrow morning. I think it's good for us as, as Christian men to know where things are at and where they're going and to have our perspective in the right place. I don't mean to step on any toes, but I found myself not very enthusiastic about the last election. And I was praying for our new president. I really was. And I continue to mostly daily. And I want God to lead him. But for a little while, I found myself thinking... All of our problems will get solved at the next election. I almost had that kind of mentality, and God really convicted me of that. And I came to the conclusion that my hope can't be in the political establishment of this country. I better vote. I better vote according to my conscience and God's word. I better be uh, a wise manager of of, um, that gift that God's given us. Uh, I don't want to take for granted the freedoms that we have in this country. And I should take a stand on things that are important to God. But at the same time, my hope has to be in God. And at the same time, I have to realize, if I think this is bad, I'm going to be in bad shape a couple of years down the road, because it's going to get worse, I think. So with that, I wanted to start with 1 Chronicles 12.32. And that tells us that the men of Issachar, how many of you guys have heard this verse? It says the men of Issachar understood the times and knew what Israel should do. And right now, God is raising up Christians, I believe, that will understand the times right now and what we as the body of Christ should do. Our nation, our world is changing drastically. I was a college freshman in 1998, so almost 12 years ago. The students today are not the same as they were 10 years ago, 5 years ago, or even 3 years ago. Right, Gordy, you're a professor at the college. You probably have noticed this. There is a dramatic shift going on, right? And we, as the body of Christ, better be on top of it. We cannot be ignorant, and I hope that today this will encourage you. I also want to make sure that we don't have incorrect expectations. If we have incorrect expectations, that's going to result in dismay, failure, frustration, loss, fruitlessness, and doubt. If we think that the Christian life is supposed to just be a lot of fun, great big bowl of cherries, and then we face some trouble and some persecution, we're going to be very, 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 very disheartened. That's why Jesus said in John 16, 33, that you will have trouble. He promised it. It wasn't like, maybe, you will. But he said, take heart, I've overcome the world. My hope isn't in my circumstances getting better. My hope is in him, in the victory that he's already won. So on that note, remember the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25? They were waiting for the bridegroom to return. Five had enough oil, five did not for the night. Five got caught, totally missing the boat. And as a believer, we're commanded to not be in that group of five that missed the boat. Does that make sense? God wants us to be ready and to be knowledgeable about what's happening. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 24, 32 through 33. He said, Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know the summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. He was talking about the end times. Now, I want to clarify that. We're only going to know the season. 
right? We're not going to know the exact time. He promised us that just a few verses later. No one knows the day or the hour. And many have thought they were in the last days. I mean, going back to the Apostle Paul himself. And all through the ages, people thought that the end times were upon them. So as believers, I don't think the idea, when we think about this issue, is to prove that we're in the end times. You know, I kind of think we are. But I could be dead wrong. You know, there could be another thousand years on this planet. We don't know for sure, but scripturally, we are supposed to be looking for the signs. And there's never been a time in the history of this world where these signs were more evidently occurring around us. Okay? And we're going to hit that some today. So always be ready, but don't be consumed with the imminence of the end. Does that make sense? I should always be ready, but I should not be overemphasizing it. Both overemphasizing and ignorance are setting myself up for failure. I should have the right perspective, and I should be wise about what's really going on, and ready, should Christ come back even today. Okay? So, I know one thing for sure. In, in Matthew 24, 14, it says that Christ won't return until every nation has heard the gospel. Right? So I know we have a little bit of a time frame to look at. I know Wycliffe plans to have a Bible translation project in every language on the planet by 2025. So, maybe by then, every nation will have heard. And by 2033, it's been predicted that every human being alive will have heard the gospel. So it's possible that in our lifetimes, every nation, every person might hear the gospel, fulfilling that requirement. But people always ask me, do you think it's happening this year? And I say, I don't think so. But that's just kind of some broad perspective. So going further, guys, so where is this world and where is it at? How many of you guys have heard of this 2012 conspiracy thing? Uh, the calendar, we're all going to get destroyed and killed. There's a new movie out. I was talking with one of the college students last week, David Kenyenda. He said, you don't know how scared every friend of mine is about 2012. I said, are you kidding me? And he goes, he goes yeah, they're terrified. It's all they want to talk about. They're freaking out. They all think we're going to die. I said, I, I was just like dumbfounded. You've got to be kidding me. Just so you all know. I mean, if God should choose to end the earth in 2012, he could, but it's not what they're talking about, okay? That's a lot of baloney. But, you guys, we should expect things to get crazier. So I just kind of wanted to hit that. If you've been wondering, like, oh my gosh, the Incan calendar says we're all going to die, you can uh, have peace. (laughs) You don't have to trust that. You can trust Jesus instead. But know that things will get bad. So you're kind of on the right track. In Matthew 24, 3, the disciples asked Jesus what the signs of the end will be. And he goes on to tell them that. That's also paralleled in Mark 13 and in Luke 21. Okay, we have three different passages that parallel each other where Jesus talks about the end times. That's not the only place. Jesus, though, in those, in those three locations said, See, I've told you ahead of time. He was telling us what to look for. The end time is also discussed in Daniel, uh, chapters 9 through 12, Isaiah 13 and 34, the book of Revelation, and several other places. Okay, So the Bible tells us a lot about what to expect, what to look forward to, what is coming down the road, and we should not be ignorant about it. And I kind of wanted to mention seven big areas that I think are going to affect all of us, and we're all involved in. The first one is this generation. Where is this generation at? How many of you guys would like to know that? How many of you dads would like to understand where this generation is at? Aaron and I joke, most parents freak out when their kids go to college, but since we work in college ministry, it'll be the first time in our parenting where we actually know what to do. But who knows what will change before then. (laughs) But we need to understand this generation, guys. This generation, I want to start out by saying, it's going to be unlike any in history. You young guys here, you're going to be a generation that is unparalleled in history. When I was born, the internet didn't exist. When Russ was born, it sure didn't exist. I, I think they had radio back then, right, Russ? Just, 
They, they had just developed the telephone, Russ said. Light bulbs were on the way. They, still, they had some great candles back then. No, but you guys, you don't know. You guys are being raised in the iPhone generation. This is actually the iPod Touch. I wish it was an iPhone. But anyway, you guys are being raised with communication abilities, with information and technology at your fingertips that nobody in the history of this world has had. Now, with that comes a lot of responsibility. To him who has been given much, much will be expected. Luke 12:48, I believe. You guys are going to be able to use the resources that are available for good or for bad in ways that nobody else ever has. If we expect the world to be just the same as it is now, 30 years from now, we're being ignorant. There are going to be huge changes that never before were possible. So you young guys, I want you guys to pay attention today as much as anybody else. Because you're going to have a lot of stuff on your shoulders when you get to be my age, or Richard's age, or Russ's age, or Jerry's age. Okay? You guys are going to have some big issues happening in the world. And my hope is that you'll be God's representatives on this planet. You'll be His ambassadors. Right. So as young guys, prepare for that. So this generation, where is it at? They're the first raised in this information age. They're going to have capabilities nobody has ever known, but they're being neglected spiritually, guys. Barna states that less than 10% of Christian households invest in their children's spiritual lives outside of Sunday morning. I look at Kyle Castrevo over here. Kyle models to me, and he has for about a decade, what being a good dad is like. Kyle is so good at investing in his children intentionally every single day. There aren't many people that do that. In fact, it's less than 10% of families. Now, if 90% of the Christian kids are not getting any investment about how to walk as men and women of God, and if the rest of the population obviously is not either, what do you think we have to look forward to 30 years from now? Just a question. I want to tell you guys the shift that's going on in this generation. This comes from uh, Barna, and he's done all the statistics, and he's analyzed them and come up with six or seven different main areas where the generation is changing. In the past, generations hated change. I know this because Russ is my boss, and he doesn't like change. Okay? (laughs) He (laughs) He knows what works, and he's going for it. Okay, how many of you guys are in that same boat? A lot of you, right? That's how things have been. This new generation embraces change. Why do you think that is? They see it every day. I mean, I got on Facebook yesterday, and here's an open letter from Mark Zuckerberg, or whatever his name is, saying how he's going to totally change Facebook again. I mean, Facebook has changed like six times this year. I was kind of going, are you kidding me? Like, I'm, I'm still getting used to the last changes. But you guys, you young guys, you're used to change. The world is changing so fast around you. Now, we better be ready for change. And we better know that the, that the generation coming behind us, they embrace it. They're a little different from us in that, in that aspect. They're coming from a postmodern perspective. So this generation focuses a lot more on relationships and process, not so much on end results. In the past, end results were the big, big issue. Right, Richard? In the past, you guys, the end results were the main issue. Now it's not going to be so much that way. It's how you get there. The means justify the ends. Does that make sense? The means are what's important. This generation is going to be much more relational than those in the past. Going further, in the past, excellence was important. We want, to ha- we want to build a product that's going to last for 100 years. Now excellence is not so much the big deal. But relevance is important. I don't care if it's excellent. Is it relevant right now? See, that's why training, talking about training, that's why that's going out the door. Because you're training for something that might happen sometime, maybe, in the future. 
It's not relevant right now. If, if excellence is your perspective, then that's good. But if relevance is your perspective, it'd be better to go get coffee with my buddy. Now, we as the body of Christ better learn how to reach this generation in their terms. Before, performance was the big issue. Now it's authenticity. Who are you really? We have students all the time that ask us very, very, very personal questions about our marriage, Aaron and I. And we want to be honest with them. They're not okay with everything looking good from afar. They want to know what's really going on. So reality is a big deal. Technology, we've mentioned it. Community is going to be a huge deal. Technology is opening up information opportunities that never existed before, and it's expanding communities and relationships. I have people looking me up that I haven't seen for over a decade on Facebook. My brother Dave changed his status to engaged a couple weeks ago on Facebook just as a joke and had more comments than you can imagine, right? There was this whole community of friends that he hadn't heard from in years that all of a sudden got really excited about what was going on in his life until he told them it was a moose that, that he was engaged to at the ranch. Dave is not really engaged. It was kind of a joke. But you guys, in the past, people have been casual observers for the most part. Most Americans in our country were okay with checking out the news, voting, working hard, and being satisfied with the American dream. This new generation wants to be a part of what's going on, whether that's through blogging, whether that's through you name it. They want to be involved in what's going on. So that's kind of where the generation is changing, guys. And... In the middle of that, we see unparalleled moral depravity. We hear stories on campus that would absolutely blow any mind in this room. And the deal is, is internally people are empty, and they're searching for Christ, and they're going to lengths that nobody else has ever gone. And I believe that God's going to use that at some point. So what does the Bible tell us to look forward to? In the end times, this is what it'll be like. People will be happily ignorant. Sound like today? They'll be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. That's this generation. Previous generations honored their parents for the most part. This generation, it's almost unheard of. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They will have a form of godliness but deny its power. They are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Always learning, but never able to acknowledge the truth. So you know where we're at. What's that? It's from different parts of Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, and 2 Timothy 3. All of it kind of contributes to that. Okay, you guys, so you know where we're at and where we're going, right? So what do we do about it? In Matthew 24, Jesus said, keep watch, understand, and be ready. And ultimately, guys, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. I should not get stressed out and worried about where things are going. I should do my part. If you're a dad, you've got some investing to do in your kids. If you're in a church, you've got some investing to do in the youth in your church. Guys, so let's be a part of what's going on. And remember, the hotter the desert, the thirstier people become. So even though you see moral depravity increasing, people are hungry for Jesus. Remember that. Matthew 9.37, the harvest is ripe. So nationality and politics. Where are we going, guys? This is the second area, nationality and politics. I was trekking 12, 13 years ago in Nepal. We would trek for days and days and days and days in the Himalayas, and there'd be Coca-Cola up there. I mean, there aren't even roads to get up there. Okay, guys? There's globalization going on on a level that has never been known. At the same time, there's a changing political atmosphere worldwide. We have the political correctness movement, where agencies like the United Nations are determining how we 
and other countries should even act, imposing trade sanctions, imposing all sorts of different issues. The political climate of this entire world is changing before our eyes, guys. Look at the resurrection of communism in South America and in other areas, dictatorships. All across this world, guys, the political establishment is changing. Our hope can't be in it going back to the 60s and whatever political establishment we had then. We need to get to a point where we realize things are going to change as a country. Doesn't mean, again, that I quit voting my convictions and so forth. But be ready. The Bible puts it to us this way. It says, nations will rise against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms. And eventually the Antichrist will establish a one world government and a new world order. That's the direction things are going. I don't like it and I don't want it. But you guys, it's going to get here at some point. At some point it's going to get there. And interestingly... There's no conclusive reference to to the United States of America in end-time prophecy. So we might not be here as a country. It's just a thought. I'm not positive. But my hope shouldn't be in this country. I believe this is the greatest country that's ever existed in the history of this world. I firmly believe that. But it still should not be my hope. Right? Christ alone is my hope. Okay, so what should we do? Exercise your freedoms. Pray for your leaders. Take a stand for the right issues. Vote your faith, but recognize your only lasting hope is in Jesus. And don't make our politics an alienating factor. I was a big George Bush fan a long time ago. Don't hold that against me uh, (laughs) if you disagree. But after the second election, I wanted to get this sticker. I say this only because it's uh, it's kind of funny. But it it had... um, Bush holding his finger like that and said, take that hippie four more years. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I wanted to get it. And my wife said, Nate, we, we work with college students. And most of them are pretty upset about Bush winning a second term. <laughs> and she goes, do you want to alienate this generation just because of your personal political stance? So I want to encourage you guys, don't make your politics more important than relationships or more important than, than this next generation, guys. So don't make them more important than Jesus would have made them. I want to bring up a note. The Jews of Jesus' time missed the Messiah because they were expecting a political savior. Does that make sense? Remember John 6.15, they tried to make him king by force? So I don't think I should get so focused on a political salvation that I miss what God is trying to do in the world around me. I I hope the right guy gets elected in 2012. But if he doesn't, God is still going to keep working, okay? God is still working. And he's even organizing elections to bring himself the most glory. God will be glorified, guys, if we will do what he's called us to do. So again, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, guys, regardless of the political orientation of our culture. Our hope is in him, not in politics. Okay, peace and security, where we're at. More troops just got sent to Afghanistan or are being sent. Iran is about to acquire nukes. Israel is most likely going to bomb them. They have to. It's an existential threat to Israel. They're going to have to do something. Otherwise, they will be annihilated. When Israel does strike Iran, oil will jump probably twice what it is today. Okay? What do you guys think that's going to do to an economy that's already suffering on the brink of of falling to the level of the Great Depression? Within the next month, we could see more chaos than we've ever imagined. I'm not saying that will happen. I'm just saying, guys, we should be ready should that happen. And we should have hope regardless of what happens. Okay? Pakistan has an arsenal of nuclear weapons. They could easily, overnight, fall into Taliban hands. All of a sudden, all the terrorist organizations of this planet would have nukes. Sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? It sounds kind of scary. Uh, China uh, is increasing their military capabilities beyond anything we know. At the same time, we're decreasing ours. 
You guys, there's a lot of shifts going on right now. Richard could probably talk to a lot of this later on. He knows a lot more than I do. There's this rise of South American socialism and communism going on, and even to the point of, of vocally partnering with some of the Middle East countries against free republics. You guys, we don't know what's going to happen to our peace and security over our lifetimes. But I don't expect that it's going to get more peaceful. I do expect that we're going to have more wars. Jesus promised us this going to Scripture. Expect wars and rumors of wars. And then in Revelation it says expect great warfare. You guys, at one point in the end times, the warfare is going to become so prevalent that there will be a 200 mile stretch of land filled with blood several feet high. I was trying to think in my mind, I wonder how many people would have to die to make that possible. (laughs) That's a lot. (laughs) Okay? That's, that's told us in Scripture. So I should not expect the world to become more peaceful. And if it does, for a time, praise God, okay? But I should be ready for it not to go that direction. Eventually, we're going to have Armageddon, the final battle, which will be the biggest battle this world has ever seen. So what should we do about it? Jesus himself told us, guys, do not be alarmed when talking about these issues. Don't be alarmed. I can't let the lack of security and peace in the world frighten me. My hope is in God. I have to trust Him with all my heart. Okay, going on to the environment. Where are we at? Pollution, air, water. I worked after college, my degree was in chemistry, as an air quality specialist. I ran two air pollution monitoring centers and two meteorological stations. So this is kind of right up my alley. And after coming on staff, I did a little bit of consulting, teaching people in atmosphere, chemistry, and things like that from Northern Arizona University. So this is all stuff that, that I, well, on the air side, that I've really thought through in, in all this. Air and water are getting cleaner in the United States of America ever since the Clean Air and Clean Water Acts in the 70s. Pollution has decreased in every way in our country. Worldwide, it's, it's increasing. And, you guys... There's resource scarcity that we didn't know about previously, or we just hadn't gotten to a point where it would impact our lives. That's a big issue with the environment. Global warming is something that a lot of people talk about. I don't believe there's any scientific reason to believe global warming is happening now, and I definitely don't believe there's a reason to believe man is causing it. Okay, And that's coming straight from the science. Many of you guys heard this week, these emails got released, and a lot of the top scientists in the world admitted that very thing. But regardless, guys, a lot of bad stuff is happening with our environment right now. And I want to tell you what the Bible says you can expect. Sickness and disease, earthquakes and famines. Twice it talks about tsunamis and hurricanes being the distress of nations. That's been happening, right? Hail and fire destroying most of Earth's plant life. And those hailstones, by the way, will, will weigh like 100 pounds each. <laughs> Not fun. Meteorites are going to hit the earth. Sea life is going to be destroyed because of it. Rivers are going to turn into blood. And the Bible even tells us that there will be hardcore global warming. So even though I'm, I'm not convinced of the global warming issue right now, in the end times, the Bible says that it's going to be painful. It will be so hot. So that's kind of interesting to look forward to and to realize it's coming down. Okay? Uh, eventually, the, the world will be darkened. That could be through a nuclear fallout or... Through who knows what, maybe a meteorite hitting the earth and causing a lot of that. There's going to be hardcore drought to the point where the Euphrates River is going to completely dry up. We're going to have the largest earthquake in the history of the world. Islands and mountains are going to be devastated. The sun is going to be dark and the moon will not give its light, obviously, because it reflects the sun's light. And the heavenly bodies will be shaken. So environmentally, <laughs> we're looking at a lot happening in the future. 
So driving a Prius isn't going to stop that, I promise. Okay? We have a lot to look forward to that's not going to be fun. And we should be ready. Again, I'm not saying this is going to happen five years from now. We might not live to see these things. But at the same time, we should know what's on the horizon. Jesus told us to be aware. Again, what should we do about it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Okay, where's the economy at? How many of you guys think the economy is just raging right now? Maybe in the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah, it's raging. Okay, the Dow has dropped 30% since October of 2007. One of the biggest drops in history from 14,000 down to 10,000. Numerous bank failures, including some of the largest in history, like Washington Mutual. Other investment banks have collapsed, like Lehman Brothers. Merrill Lynch has sold out. AIG, the largest insurance company in the world, survived only through an $85 billion initial loan and more afterwards. Two of the largest mortgage lenders, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, have totally collapsed and been bought out completely by the government. Home values are plummeting. How many of you guys have seen the value of your home increase over the last two years? Not one of us. Wow. You know, when I first got my home, I was all excited. It was like, wow, it increased 20 grand this year. That's exciting. Not anymore, guys. It's going the opposite direction. That's the right perspective, Jared. At least we have a home. Okay, many other economic indicators are down, and multiple economists, politicians, and other leaders are fearing and predicting a recession at best and a global depression at worst. Not just localized in our country, but globally. See, when America's economy tanks, China's does. When China's tanks, everybody's does. Does that make sense? We're all interconnected. And at this point, we should not be looking forward to the good old days of economic prosperity. We might see that again, but that, again, is not our hope. The President and Congress have passed hundreds of billions of dollars in bailouts, over a trillion, which so far have done close to nothing. And leaders are scrambling for answers. Either way, we're going to be in debt for centuries. Probably plural centuries. We've gotten ourselves so far in debt. Now, when we look at the economic situation in our world, it's not good. China, Russia, and Venezuela have all proposed a one-world currency at this point. OPEC has come up with something very similar, kind of like an international purse of currencies. Okay, OPEC being the controlling body of most of the world's oil. There are different global corporations that control most of the food on this planet, which has pretty scary implications for things like the economy. Should there be a famine? So, what do we have to look forward to? Things don't look great right now. I almost feel sorry for Obama about the economy because there's not a human being alive that could have righted the ship that we are in, I don't think. I don't think he's making the right decisions. I'm not going to have an argument about that. But regardless, there's not much that could save where our economy is at right now. Long term. We might be able to delay some of the effects. But long term, things are looking pretty bad. Okay, so where are things going? The Bible tells us there are going to be famines in various places. It says there's going to be terrible poverty. In fact, you know how bad the poverty is going to get in the end times? It's going to get to the point where a day's wages will buy you enough bread for one person to survive for one day. That's scripture. Revelation 6 promises us that. That means that you could not support your family on an income. That means that you could barely feed one person working full time. We should understand Jesus told us to be wise and to be ready. That is in our future. I don't know when it will get here, but we should be ready for it. Eventually there will be a one world economy. Again, we see some of these countries proposing that already. And eventually that will culminate in the mark of the beast. It's scary stuff that's down the road, but what are we supposed to do about it? Trust in the Lord with all our hearts. Amen. Philippians 4.19 says that God is our provider. 
The economy isn't my provider. Obama is not your provider. Bush is not your provider. Wall Street is not your provider. Your home equity is not your provider. Christ alone is our provider, guys. We need to get back to that kind of trust. But remember in Ephesians 4.19, what did it come after? 4.18. 18 was talking about the Philippians' generosity. And then out of that generosity, my God will supply all your needs. So as Christians, I want to encourage you to be radically obedient, to be generous with the money that God has given you. Gordy challenged us to that in the, in the last retreat, and I want to continue that challenge. But you guys, Barna says the average Christian gives 3% of their income away. It's fewer than 10% of Christians tithe. I've heard it's 8%. So as Christians, we're in a bad spot. And now God promises us in 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Isn't that good? So, I want to give generously so that God can give back to me generously. Remember Malachi, so he can open up the floodgates of heaven. We as Christians need to get to where we're putting our money where our mouth is. And where we're giving. And then allowing God to bless us. And I want to say one encouraging thing in this negative economic news. I I heard recently that nationwide giving is down. But in the Christian body, giving is up by like 20% or something I heard. That's exciting. That Christians are realizing the times are hard and they're giving. So keep it up, guys. Let's keep giving generously. Let's keep contributing to what God is doing around the world. I want to make a note, Romans 13, 8. Do not be in debt. Do not be in debt. It's a biblical principle. You'll have to kind of come to your own decision about what that means totally. Is it okay to have a mortgage or not? I think so. I think of that as an investment. But beyond that, be careful. Guys, be careful. Because the more you're in debt, the more you have your hands tied as the economy is getting worse. So, our trust has to be in God. Remember in Job 31, he says, If I have put my trust in gold, or said to pure gold, you are my security. If I have rejoiced over my great wealth, the fortune my hands have gained. If I have regarded the sun in its radiance, or the moon moving in splendor, so that my heart was secretly enticed, and my hand offered them a kiss of homage, then these also would be sins to be judged. For I would have been unfaithful to God on high. If my riches are my security, that's unfaithfulness to God. So, trust in God with all your heart. So where are we at as far as morality in our society? Okay, mass shootings. You guys heard about these four police officers that were just killed last week. Kidnappings, rapings, and killings of children almost daily. I don't know how I'm going to let my kid go anywhere. Um, game. Yeah, trust in the Lord. There you go. I think we really got to get to a place of trusting God with this. Okay, gay marriage, taxpayer-funded abortions, a backward society, guys. Remember in Durango recently, a couple teenage girls got sued for giving cookies to an elderly woman? You guys remember the story? It's in the Durango Herald. This is a backward society we live in, okay? This is a backward society. Our freedom of speech is potentially going to be hindered. And I think it's in Saskatchewan right now that you can be imprisoned for taking a stand on certain issues the Bible tells us to take a stand on. They just passed this hate crimes law in the U.S., which a lot of people fear could put those same kind of restrictions on Christian workers here. Okay, G.K. Chesterton put it this way. You are free in our time to say that God doesn't exist. You are free to say that he exists and is evil. You are free to say that God would like to exist if he could. You may talk of God as a mystification or a metaphor. You may boil him down with gallons of words or boil him down to the rags of metaphysics. And it is not merely that nobody punishes, but that nobody protests. Now get this. If you speak of God as a thing like a tiger, 
as a reason for changing one's conduct, then the modern world will stop you if it can. We are long past talking about whether an unbeliever should be punished for being irreverent. It is now thought to be irreverent to be a believer. Isn't that where we're at? I think the one taboo on our campus is Christianity. Anything else goes, but if you're a Christian, no way. Jesus promised wickedness would increase. What should we do about it? Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all of our heart, guys. Where is the church today? We've become complacent, worldly, ignorant, apathetic, disobedient to God, out of touch, and shrinking by somewhere around 8,000 people a day. That's where we're at in the U.S. Worldwide, there's a revival going on. South America, 34,000 new believers a day. China, 28 to 37,000 new believers a day. Africa, 23 to 25,000 new believers a day. The Muslim world has 16,000 people a day coming to Jesus Christ. It's kind of bizarre that in the Muslim world, more people are trusting Christ than in the United States of America. Worldwide, guys, every day, 174,000 people are trusting Christ. But God put us here, and as the body of Christ, we're missing the boat here in this country. Barna says that over 80% of Christians feel like they have never once connected with God. Is that a frightening statistic? Most people never share their faith. I've heard that only 2% of Christians share their faith. 9% of born-again adults have a Christian worldview. 9%. Not even 10% of born-again Christian adults have a Christian worldview. So, we here in the U.S., we need to get back to where God has called us. Here's what Jesus said about the last days and the church. He said, many false prophets and false Christs will deceive the believers. Okay? Even performing signs, wonders, and miracles. Now, I've I've personally seen God do some amazing miracles. In Nepal, we saw him heal over 20 people in a village. We saw a student a few years ago get healed of testicular cancer. I will be the last person to tell you God cannot perform the miraculous. But on the flip side of the coin, I want to encourage you that if we overemphasize the miraculous... In Christ's own words, we are setting ourselves up to be deceived. Because he said that Christians would be deceived by false prophets performing signs and wonders. So I better just keep things in the right place. Okay? Believers will be hated, persecuted, and put to death and martyred in the end times. I've heard that over 140,000 people a year are martyred for their faith in Christ. I have not verified that stat, so I don't know. But realistically, guys... We should expect that in the future, but we should also not forget the persecuted church today. Many will fall away from the faith in the end times, and get this, they will hate and betray each other, and the love of most will grow cold. And that's where we're at, guys, but God is still working. What should we do? Trust in the Lord Lord with all of our heart, guys. But also, Jesus specifically tells us, pray, flee persecution. Jesus told us that, Dave told me that, I'd never really connected the dots on that. But at the same time, we shouldn't avoid persecuted areas. We as believers should go. We shouldn't have a suicide desire. I want to just go get martyred. We should go to hard places, attempt to share the gospel, and at the same time be wise about what we do and try to not get killed doing it. So flee persecution, but don't flee persecuted areas. And you guys, Jesus says stand firm to the end. Walk by faith till the end. And here's the deal, guys. Don't be deceived. Jesus said that over and over and over. He said you're Christians are going to get deceived, so you don't be deceived. So I have 19 tests of a false teacher. Guys, know what the Bible tells us to expect about false teachers, and then don't buy it. Okay? Now here they are. Are they proud and arrogant? That's the first sign. Are they greedy or materialistic? How many of you guys have seen that? Greedy and materialistic preachers. Do they take advantage of people? 
Are they physically rough with people? I've seen a Christian minister, I won't name his name, talking about physically hitting people in the face because God told them to. You know, you know what the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 11.20? It says that false teachers will strike people in the face. Do they have a hidden agenda? Or are they secretive about their true beliefs or teachings? You ever hear somebody trying to like hide their true belief? You watch out, okay? Paul said we've renounced secret and shameful ways. Everything's out in the open. We have nothing to hide. I'm not going to try and subversively convince you of something. It's all out in the open, guys. Do they flatter people using fine-sounding arguments that are actually empty, but deceive the naive? Do they claim to show great signs and wonders? Remember Jesus' warnings. Do they promise people freedom? Do they enslave people either through legalism or demanding that you follow their methods of uncommon Christianity? We're the ones that have the truth. And it's different than what everybody else has. You hear that? Don't buy into it. If it was that important, God would have given it to his body 2,000 years ago. God wasn't ignorantly going, Oh, and I missed the boat for 2,000 years. Finally going to give it to somebody today. So be careful about people that have the corner on truth. We're the only ones that have this truth. It's not good. Do they consider themselves teachers of God's word, yet have a poor understanding of it? Do they turn away from sound doctrine, confidently teaching strange doctrines, myths, and stories that they have made up, which differ from sound doctrine and appeal to people's flesh? I've heard some crazy, strange stories that differ from sound doctrine that appeal to the flesh. Jesus said, watch out for that stuff. Do they act foolishly? Do they act sensually and cause others to also? And by sensually, I do not mean sexually, although that might be part of it. But do they appeal to our senses? Do they act out the kinds of things they did before knowing Christ? That's a huge one. The Bible says false teachers will do that. And I think a lot of it goes back to selfishness before Christ, selfishness after Christ. So you can take that however you want. Do they lead people away from simple and pure devotion to Christ? Does their ministry cause speculation and fruitless discussion? Does their ministry distract people from doing God's work by faith? Does their ministry continue going further and further away from the truth, getting crazier and crazier? Does it go from bad to worse? The Bible tells us that false teachers will go from bad to worse. It's the law of diminishing returns. I have to keep following something going bad to worse. So, again, trust the Lord with all your heart, but don't be deceived, guys. Be wise about your enemy. Okay, now finally, those were some major areas of where we're at and where we're going. And I want to close with this. Keep the end times issues in their right place, guys. We can't overemphasize and we can't be ignorant. We've got to be wise and we've got to be focused on Christ. Howard Hendricks said the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And I would say that's the main thing. <laughs> so what about the rapture? A mentor of mine was asked, are you pre-trib or post-trib? And he goes, pre-trip, post-trip, personally? He goes, I'm pan-trip. It'll all pan out in the end, brother. So, I think that's a good way to look at it. I personally think Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, and Revelation 13, 7 all talk about Christians being persecuted during the tribulation. And in those parallel chapters of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus says, and then the end will come. And then we will be caught up in the sky with him. So to me, it, it seems like it would be after the tribulation. But I don't know. My brother has some great reasons that it could possibly be before the tribulation. What I want to say, guys, is regardless of your stance on that topic, you should be ready for persecution. Right? We're promised that in 2 Timothy 3.12. You will be persecuted if you live a godly life in Christ Jesus. So regardless of what you believe about the tribulation, 
Don't let yourself get to a point where you're convincing yourself that you'll never face persecution for your faith. Be ready. Train for the unthinkable. Be ready to take that stand and die for your faith. Keep world issues in perspective correctly. Hunger, war, poverty, homeless will always be here. Our goal on this planet is not to end those things. Should we give our money to the poor and the homeless? Absolutely. They will always be here. Jesus promised us that. Okay? Jesus prayed that His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that His kingdom would come. But I want to tell you, His kingdom will never fully come to this earth until the millennial reign of Christ. Right now, there's a different power controlling this planet. And there will be bad things happening. And I've got to realize, His will being done, what is it? Luke 19.10? To seek and to save the lost. That's why we're here, guys. Do not fear. We don't need to fear. Psalm 91. Read it. It's great. 2 Corinthians 4.18. I need to have an eternal perspective in everything that's going on right now. My dad would say growing up, always, Dave, remember this? He would always say, it's all going to burn. We would say, look at that awesome house. And my dad would say, it's all going to burn. <laughs> you know, as a kid, I thought, shut up, dad. I wish I had that house. But it's true, right? You guys, that Mercedes, it's going to burn. That house is going to burn. That new gun I really want, it's going to burn. Only what's done for Christ will last. As the old saying goes. So I need to have an eternal perspective in all this. I need to be longing for His return. It talks about that in 2 Timothy 4.8. And I need to be faithful. In Matthew 24.46, it says that we should be found faithful when He returns. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to be found faithful when He returns. And I don't know the day or the hour. But I know a lot of the signs look a lot more like the signs than they did 100 years ago. I want to be wise and I want to be faithful, guys. And I want to be sharing my faith as a lifestyle. And I want to be making the difference that God put me here to make. So we cannot be ignorant. And at the same time, we cannot overemphasize these things. We have to be wise. Don't be ignorant, guys. Understand the times. Go vote in 2012. But understand that your vote in 2012 is not going to prevent the Antichrist from coming to this planet. Okay, I say that figuratively. Things are going to get bad. And we should do the best we can in every way here, but trust has to be in God, not in this life. So you older men in here, they're thinking, man, I've lived a pretty long life. It's not over. So God still has a reason for you being here. So get in the fight. All the rest of us middle-aged men, it's the first time I've referred to myself that way, um... <laughs> We need to get in the fight too. Right, guys? We have families that need to see godly examples of fathers and husbands. That's what God is calling us to. We have churches that need men to step up and lead. Doug, is it easy to get men to lead in your church? Not usually, right? Okay, we as men need to step up. We need to leave our fears, our insecurities, our weaknesses, and our failures behind, covered in God's grace. And step out in faith, letting him use us the way he's called us to. So talk to your pastor when you get home from this retreat. Just ask this. Say, I don't feel like I'm ready. Sounds familiar, huh, Richard? But I want to serve. So help me out here. Can you guys make a commitment to doing that when you get home? Just go get your pastor. Say, I'm not ready, but I'm willing. Let's start talking about this and seeing where we can go. Okay? Jesus said in Luke 21:36, watch and pray. We need to be prayer warriors, guys. Men, pray. 1 Timothy 4.12, set an example for the believers, this is a command to you men, in speech and life and love and faith and in purity. Speech and life and love and faith and in purity. 
That's what God's called us to be examples in. So let's start doing it. In Matthew 9.37, I love this, guys. The harvest is ripe. God didn't put us here just so that we could struggle through a bunch of failure. We as the body of Christ need to quit looking at things from a survival perspective. A lot of times we think, man, if only we... I, I'm in ministry, dude. Sometimes I get these thoughts. If I can just get through the end of the semester and not lose half the group, I'll be happy. Okay? Do we need to get on the offensive. Be like, let's win this city. Let's win this campus. Let's win this community for Christ. But I tell the guys, if you, if you fight to survive, you don't always win. But if you fight to win, you always survive. It's true. So let's fight this fight to win it. And I want to close with 1 Corinthians 16, 13-14. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong and do everything in love. Okay, guys. That's it.